Uh, you know, we're smack dab in the middle of a series on the book of Matthew called The Gospel of the Kingdom. And the good news of the kingdom is as the, the song we sang two songs ago says, Our King has come. Our King is Jesus and He has come. Uh, and thanks to Him, we have mercy that is far greater than all our sins. And that's what we celebrate each and every Sunday here. That's what this church exists to proclaim. We want to be a family of believers who are sharing that message with each other uh, and with the world around us. This morning, uh, and like I said, for the next two Sundays, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, uh, looking at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so this is the greatest sermon that has ever been given. Not talking about myself, I'm talking about the text, okay? Just to be clear. We're talking about the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever given. It was preached by none other than God himself, Jesus Christ, our King, the Savior. And he gave us in this, in these three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, just some of the most practical instruction of what it looks like to follow him, to love him, and to love others. And so we're going to be looking at that today and then for two more Sundays. Uh, this morning, the title of the sermon is Spiritual Ophthalmology. Okay, so we are actually going to be taking a look, an eye exam, if you will. Uh, you'll see what I mean as soon as we uh, look at our text, which this morning, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. If you have your Bible, follow along in that, or if you don't have a Bible, you can look at the screen and follow along as I read up there. So please follow along as we listen to the Word of God. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That's Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. And, and in these verses, that five little, little five-verse section, Jesus gives us another really memorable word picture of what it means to follow him in an important area of our life. He really is talking about the foolishness of condemning, judging others when we ourselves ought to be examining ourselves. Judging others instead of ourselves. You know, uh, throughout history, this is a mental picture that people have thought of a lot. Here's one that's actually a more recent drawing. Um, it says, dude, you've got a speck in your eye. And you see this, it's kind of a ridiculous picture, right? This guy's got a piece of wood sticking out of his eye so big, how could he possibly see anything else? Well, guess what? Actually, throughout history, since Jesus spoke these words, people have been trying to capture what this looks like. And this morning, we're going to do the same thing. But I want to show you just a couple pieces of art of how artists have conceived of this over the years. This guy right there in an ancient piece of art has a beam sticking out of his eye, similar in this one. Um... This idea of having a plank sticking out of your own eye. And then just a couple more here. You see, as we go through history, people have tried to imagine what this would have looked like. And this morning, I want us to not just imagine what it would have looked like, but to understand what Jesus is trying to get at with this picture. Because really, when it comes down to it, he's contrasting two things, right? He's saying there's little specks of sawdust that somehow... We always notice in other people's eyes when in reality we've got this big log, this big plank, this big beam in our own eye. 
And so this morning, Jesus says, you might automatically, as a human being, focus on those specks of dust, whatever they are. But he says, first, you need to notice the log, the things in your own life that you need to clear up, the obstacles in your own life that need to be cleared up. This morning, what I want us to do is really call this a spiritual eye exam, okay? Because that's what Jesus tells us to do, is to take a look at what you're looking at. Take a look at what you're noticing. Take a look at what your eye is doing. So I want to invite you, really, to come in for this eye exam. And uh, you didn't know this when you showed up this morning, but you have an eye exam scheduled for today, okay? So I'm inviting you to join me in this, because I actually have the same exam scheduled. And we want to look... Not just at our eyes, but as I think we see, Jesus is talking about the condition of our heart, to examine our hearts. Let's see what God wants to reveal to us this morning. So if we're taking this exam this morning and looking at what Jesus is talking about in these verses, I think the first thing he does, like a good doctor, uh, he actually gives us a diagnosis. And this is a diagnosis that I would say is probably common to everyone in this room. Uh, in that it's just kind of natural for us to do this thing. Uh, and that is to have a critical condemning spirit of others. Okay? Uh, a critical condemning spirit of others. Matthew 7 verse 1. Judge not lest you be judged. Did you know that's actually one of the most quoted verses in scripture? It's one of the most quoted verses in scripture. People love to quote that verse. Um, but I would also propose to you that it is also one of the most misquoted verses in scripture because people use it to say don't judge me judge not lest you be judged and i want to tell you this morning i think the point of this text is a little bit different than us just saying don't judge me okay really saying i don't want to be judged in fact jesus says if you're a follower of me you need to examine yourself but that's the key examine yourself So when we talk about this word judge, judge not, what does that mean? You know, anytime you have a word in scripture, it can mean uh, a whole range of different things. So there's kind of two different ways we could take this word. One would be uh, when you judge something, that could be like deciding something or distinguishing something, evaluating something. Um, So you judge whether this rose bush is better than that rose bush. Uh, You know, you, you basically evaluate something. Or... Another area of meaning of this word would be to condemn or to avenge or even uh, a word that you see in scripture some is to damn, okay? So this idea of condemning someone for what they do or what they're thinking or what their heart is feeling. What we're talking about here in this in this verse, I believe, is when Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, he's first of all talking about condemnation. We're not called to condemn others and say they are no good, they are condemned, they deserve judgment. Because you know what? This is interesting. If you read the rest of this passage, and really we'll see next week as we look at the rest of chapter 7, we're actually not forbidden to judge or evaluate behavior of others. We're told to distinguish between the false sheep and the good sheep, the good fruit and the bad fruit. So what does Jesus mean when he says, do not judge? He's telling us, don't condemn other people for their sin. There's only one judge who can condemn, and that's our king. That's God. You know, it does mean, though, that we're not to call, uh, to condemn others, to pass judgment on their heart, on their motives. Only God can know their motives. And so we can see outward acts. And in fact, God says, 
as Christians, we're supposed to walk through life with each other in community and encourage each other when we notice something, uh, walk with each other, correct one another, lovingly encourage one another to do the right thing. But what we're not called to do is to condemn one another when we notice things that we see are a problem. So the problem here that Jesus is talking about is a condemning spirit, that wrong kind of judgment, saying that person is condemned or ought to be condemned because of their terrible behavior. Or I think another thing Jesus says is the problem is this idea of the hypocritical spirit, right? You point out something in someone else when in reality you may struggle with something very similar or just something else on your own. And so Jesus says, that's not your place. He says, I want to tell you how you should view yourself. When we talk about this little passage here in Matthew 7, though, sometimes I wondered this week as I was looking at it and thinking about it, why here in the Sermon on the Mount? Why would Jesus put this whole thing in here about judge not, lest you be judged, and, and being careful about taking the, spe- the, the log out of your own eye? Why would he put that in the Sermon on the Mount? And if you think about what Jesus has already said, Remember, he's come down hard on people who uh, who are hypocrites. He says, you've heard that it was said, don't murder. But I'm telling you, if you even have bad thoughts in your heart, you're guilty of murder. And so he says it's a matter of the heart. And so what he's saying here, your heart matters. The way you look at other people matters. And what he's saying is it's not important that you just get your behavior right and that they get their behavior right. He says, I want you to have a clear account with me and then walk with others. You know, there's a temptation that Jesus is really hitting on in the Sermon on the Mount, and that is to have a religious lifestyle. And a religious lifestyle is one that we would call uh, going through the motions. Religion's not a bad word, by the way, but when you use it as a empty ritual, it becomes something it was never intended because true religion is a relationship. And so Jesus says here, when he's talking about how you evaluate your own heart, how you look at others, he says that all must be rooted in your relationship with me. That's what he's talking about all through the Sermon on the Mount. Is it's not just about doing the right things and checking the boxes. It's about where your heart is. Where is your heart when you look at others? Where is your heart when you look at yourself? Do you see, here's a question I want to ask you on this. When we think about this diagnosis, God says that humans are prone to this condemning, critical attitude. Here's a question we all need to ask ourselves. Just honestly ask yourself this. When you look at other people, or when you look around, do you see this, Do you first see the sins of others, or do you see your own sins? Right? Which one comes to your attention first? I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. If you're just so preoccupied with noticing the faults of others, that means something's wrong in your own heart. Okay, And so, which do you see first, the sins of others or your own sins? So we're talking about this diagnosis. Jesus tells us that humans struggle with this. Even his followers struggle with this. We see this in churches. We see this in marriages. Uh, we see this in friendships. Um, and this kind of attitude can destroy destroy a friendship. The judging, condemning attitude. But what is it that leads to this diagnosis? What is it that causes this condition? You know, uh, when I go to the doctor and um, I have to go every so often because I'm a diabetic and I've heard the whole thing. Well, what were the contributing factors to your diabetes? 
Uh, you know, for me, it was probably genetics. I've had it for over 30 years, and so I got it when I was a perfectly healthy little eight-year-old. If you have heart disease, right, you go to the doctor and get diagnosed with heart disease, they're going to say, well, what are the contributing factors? What can we do to eliminate the factors that are making you sick? Heart disease, you might have a bad diet. You might have a lot of stress in your life. Uh, you might have... Um, a lack of exercise, or maybe again, it's just genetics. But the doctors always want to determine what are the contributing factors that give you this condition. So this morning, as we look at this condition of having a critical or condemning spirit, what are the contributing factors? Let's go back and read verses 3 and 4 again. It says this, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You know, when we think about these, this idea of what gives us this condition, it's, it's really those verses right there, verses 3 and 4, are an illustration straight out of a carpenter's workshop, right? Remember, Jesus grew up with a father who was a carpenter, uh, so no doubt he saw sawdust, and he knew what it was like to get a little piece of sawdust stuck in his eye, um, he also saw the big planks of wood that would come in. And so he's using an illustration from something he has seen his whole life. And Jesus basically lovingly tells us how idiotic we oftentimes are. Lovingly and gently, he says, um, he does it with warmth and humor. He tells us how silly we are, how ridiculous it is to think that we can help somebody get a little thing out of their eye when we have something gigantic in our eye. So we talk about the contributing factors. What is it that contributes to this problem of judging others? Uh, I think it's the attitudes that we have in our hearts. The attitudes we have in our hearts, some of the time they're things that we actually say out loud, but more often than not, it's things that we just kind of believe inside. And so here's just a couple of the things that we would say or things that we think. These are, I would say, the underlying attitudes that give us the willingness and the desire to judge others instead of ourselves. Okay? So the first one is this. This is the, one of the things we would say it's an attitude we might have. And it's this. We would say it's easier to judge my neighbor than it is to judge myself. All right. So here's my technical medical term for that. Okay. We're going to call that the lazy eye syndrome. Okay. It's just easier to look over there and judge that person rather than look inside myself. If you do that, um, we're going to call that the lazy eye symptom syndrome. It's the spectator idea. It's easier to watch somebody than to actually get out there and do it yourself. Now, <clears throat> if I had brought in this morning uh, an eye examination chair and setup, we actually have a couple eye doctors. And if I called up Dr. Wanch and Dr. Wanch and said, uh, we're going to give an eye exam to somebody right here on the stage this morning. Um, how many of you all would be raising your hand and saying, I want to be that person? Probably no one in here would say, I'm signing up. I want a dilated eye exam right in front of everybody. The rest of you would say, no, I'd much rather watch that happen. It's a lot easier to watch it, isn't it? You don't want to be the person in the exam chair. And I would say the exact same thing happens uh, in life. Is I'd rather watch other people and help them diagnose their problems than diagnose my own problems. Because uh, it's just easier. There's no pain involved. I get to watch them get the eye drops. I get to watch them get the bright light shined in their eye. And I can just sit here and enjoy the show. It's easier. We call it the lazy eye syndrome. It's lazier, right? It's not what God calls us to do. 
Here's a quote from a, a scholar I read this week. He said, what we hate in another person is often something that we hate about ourselves. But you know what? It's a lot easier to hate it in their life than it is to hate it in my life. Leon Morris, another scholar, said this, a curious future, feature of the human race is a profound ignorance of oneself that is so often combined with an arrogant presumption of knowledge about others, especially their faults. It's a lot of big words basically saying it's a curious thing that we notice the faults of others before we notice our own. Why? For some reason, it's just easier. Jesus says to us this morning, don't take the easy way out. He says, I'm mostly concerned about my relationship with you. That's the relationship you need to be concerned about. So it's easier. <clears throat> Another contributing factor uh, is when we think about judging others and we think about the idea of judging what they're doing or not doing is that it makes me look better, right? Have you ever felt that before? Um, maybe you don't even notice you're doing that. But you, you're noticing all the flaws of other people and saying, man, I can't believe they do that. Because when you make someone else look worse, it makes you feel a lot better. Sports tryouts, right? You don't necessarily have to be the best person in the tryout. You just want to make sure there's somebody worse than you are. Right? Isn't that the way it is? Uh, that goes straight over into life as well. As long as I'm not as bad at the, as that person. You know, we play that comparison game. It's almost like a set of scales. Like, you know, well, I know I've got flaws, but man, that person, they've really got flaws. So I'm, I feel pretty good about myself. And it's just natural. Jesus says, beware of this. Judge not lest you be judged. You know, there's actually an example from scripture. Um, if you want to flip in your Bibles over to Second Samuel uh, chapter 12, Second Samuel chapter 12, this is the example of David, King David, after he's committed uh, an incredible sin. So King David actually commits adultery with another man's wife and then realizes he's going to get caught. So he sends that man off to battle and basically has him murdered. If you've never read that story, uh, read that at some point and see, this is the king uh, that God says is the man after my own heart. So King David commits this sin. He commits adultery, um, murders the husband, and then he takes the, the, the woman he committed adultery with, Bathsheba, as his wife. Well, guess what? God noticed. God noticed what happened. And so God sends a messenger to David, uh, and that is the prophet Nathan. Uh, and Nathan does something here that helps us kind of see the point that I'm talking about here from Matthew 7. Uh, so Nathan, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, I'm going to read the first seven verses, says this. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him. So he tells David a story. Listen to this story. There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought up, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then King David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who has done this thing deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. 
Do you notice what's happening here? David's seeing the flaw in the other person. Makes him feel pretty good about himself. Because look at that terrible person who would kill a pet. And then verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Points out David's guilt and says, you might feel good about yourself because you're pointing out the guilt in someone else. But you are actually the person who's committed the sin. Verse 9, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and you have taken his wife to be your wife and you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So just a little illustration of what we're talking about here is God says, uh, you may feel better when you notice the flaws of others, but God knows what happened and you're still guilty of whatever flaw you might have, whatever log you might have in your own I. You say, it makes me look better than that person. And God says to you, you are that man, or you are that woman, just like he said to David. So what are the underlying conditions here? Sometimes we say it's easier. Sometimes we say it makes me look better. Actually, it makes me feel better. But the big one beneath all that, I think, is that sin of pride. The idea that I'm superior to these people that I'm judging. Thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. Forgetting who you are apart from Jesus. There's a couple verses I want to read to you about humility. Okay, So if you're a follower of Christ, if you know Jesus, we are called to be humble, not proud. And this pride thing is a big part of why we want to judge others and point out their flaws. Instead of, as Jesus tells us, looking at our own hearts. That's what he's telling us to do is look at our own hearts. Let me read some of these verses about humility. Ephesians 4 verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Right? So the opposite of pride is humility or a humble love. Loving others more than yourself. Philippians 2 verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves. That's different than condemning others above yourself, right? That's the opposite of condemning others above yourself, which we are so prone to do. Romans twelve sixteen, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. James 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will lift you up. At the end of the day, my brothers and sisters, we are called to follow the example of Jesus. Okay? And he sets us the ultimate example of humility. Matthew eleven twenty nine and 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, what's interesting is sometimes you think by judging other people and pointing out their sins and whatever they might be doing wrong, uh, you think that that's going to make you feel better. But in the end, that's the opposite of humility. And remember what Jesus says, that humble yoke, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's easier to do this the way God asks us to. And that is to, first of all, focus on your own heart. Focus on your own heart. 
So what's the prescription for this problem? If we have the diagnosis of this critical and condemning spirit, we kind of understand some of the underlying motives and attitudes, the, the contributing factors that make us this way. For whatever reason, as humans, we are this way. What's the prescription? I think what Jesus tells us is we need a different kind of examination. We're not called to examine others. We're called to examine ourselves. So we'll call this an eye exam, okay, with the, with the letter I. If you think about this, we, we have iPhones, iTunes, iPads, iMovie, all these things with I. What I want to tell you is this morning, we want to talk about a different kind of I. That's the I exam. And that is to examine yourself before you ever examine others. Examine your own heart. We usually get that in reverse or we just skip that whole first step to begin with, right? God says, if you know me and you love me and you love other people, begin by examining your own heart. You know, uh, I want us to talk about verse uh, seven, verse chapter seven, verse five. Um, we're going to talk about what it is. Look at this verse. Uh, let me read it out loud. It says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So I want to talk about what it is to, to um, give yourself an eye exam, a good eye exam. Do eye doctors ever give themselves eye exams? Probably not. I don't know. Um, what it looks like, but first of all, what it is not. So you see a lot of this in medical procedures today, right? The wrong procedure happened on someone. So I may have convinced you, okay, I need to do an eye exam. Sure, tell me how to do it. We want to avoid a couple of things, first of all. And the first thing we want to avoid, the wrong procedure, number one, is to do a shallow exam or a casual or careless exam. Okay, that's not what Jesus is calling for here. Uh, and in other words, uh, sometimes, let's say you walked into a doctor's office and you were limping, uh, you had crutches, and you were even bleeding from like an open wound on your body. And the doctor walked up to you and said, open your mouth, say, ah, looks in your mouth and says, all right, you're good to go. Looks good in there. You'd say, wait, hold on, there's something wrong here. You missed it. I think that's what Jesus is encouraging us. Don't just take a casual glance at yourself and uh, not really look deeply at what's going on in your own heart. You don't want to do what a doctor like that would do, miss something obvious, or even worse, miss something hidden, right? You go to the doctor, you want them to discover any hidden condition you might have. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about this. As we come to take communion, it says, examine yourself uh, to make sure you're not unworthy. James 1, 23 through 25. Here's some verses that talk about not just taking a casual glance at yourself, uh, but it says this, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, glances at his face, and then after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. James 1.25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So we want to make sure that we're not giving ourselves a shallow exam, but actually doing a thorough exam, looking at ourselves in the right way. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But the wrong procedure number two might be this, uh, to not, and we would call this a perpetual autopsy. All right. I stole that from a commentary. Perpetual autopsy. In other words, we notice there's a problem, but that's all we can think about is, man, I'm such a failure. I'm dead. I'm worthless. Uh, God could never forgive me. And we just focus on how bad we are and what a terrible problem we have. 
It might be important for us to recognize a problem, but God doesn't want us to stay there living in guilt and shame. Jesus came to set us free from those things. He doesn't want us to keep beating yourself up repeatedly. There's forgiveness and cleansing. 1 John 1, 9 says, If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So we don't want to fall into that trap either of just being perpetually occupied with all the flaws that we had. Confess them. Know that Jesus gives you forgiveness and then walk forward. So we want to avoid those two things. But the correct approach, the correct procedure that I think Scripture calls for here and elsewhere is the idea of spiritual self-examination. Okay, spiritual self-examination. And what does that look like? I think what we're talking about here when we talk about removing the log from your own eye is honest evaluation before God. Honestly evaluating yourself before God. And I think this is something that God encourages us not just here, but elsewhere in Scripture to do. And so there are three points I want to make here about how you honestly evaluate yourself in front of God, before God. Number one is this, uh, is to look at His Word, okay, to know His Word. Because how else will you know that you're living in violation of God's way? Uh, It's why it's so important to walk in the way of wisdom, to walk in the way of the Lord, to spend time actually knowing the Word of God. Because how will you know what you are supposed to do and not supposed to do, what it means to love God through your actions unless you know His Word? So look at His Word, know His Word, know the way of wisdom that He lays out for you. That's the first thing. Um, And if you have a question about something you're doing, look at His Word and try to find what He says about that. Look at his word, then look at yourself. Look at yourself, okay? Look at at your actions. Do they line up with Scripture? Do your attitudes line up with Scripture? Are you following the way that he lays out before you? You know, in this passage, Jesus says that one of the logs you might find in your eye is the fact that you judge other people, okay? That's a log. If you're prone to do this, he says, remove that log. Any sin you have, And here's one thing about this illustration that I love, that picture of a big log just coming out of your eye. Like if I was going to walk up and shake your hand and I literally had a a 20-foot log sticking out of my eye, I'd bump into you and I probably couldn't reach your hand and I couldn't give you a hug. I couldn't even talk to you. That's what sin does. It gets in the way. It interrupts relationships. You might be forgiven by Jesus, uh, but when you sin... When you commit things, uh, actions or attitudes that are wrong, those things get in the way of your relationship, not just with Jesus, but your relationship with others. And so first of all, look at his word, look at yourself, see what it is, what kind of sin things might be in your way between you and God or you and others. But the third thing that's, I think, the most key in this whole thing of removing the log from your own eye is to look at Christ. Okay. Look at Christ or actually look to Christ. You know, the song we sang uh, earlier, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. This is the big thing that God wants us to realize uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. You can't do this on your own. You're a flawed person. You're going to have specks and logs and all kinds of things that get in your eye. Flaws, sins. But there's hope because our sins They are many, but his mercy is more. 
Look to Christ for forgiveness. Notice what it is that you've done wrong. Confess it to him. And know this, if you confess your sins, he promises he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He removes that obstacle. He removes that flaw and heals you from it. Spiritual healing. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you know Christ Jesus, he removes those flaws. He removes the sin. What happens if you commit a sin again? It's not that you can lose your salvation and then be condemned. You've already been justified. You've been saved. But he wants to keep the relationship uninterrupted. So keep confessing those things. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you know Jesus, if you've prayed to receive Christ, if you trusted him as your Savior, when he looks at you, he doesn't see your flaws. He sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees that Christ who is perfect has made you, has declared you to be perfect, declared you to be righteous. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. So look at his word, look at yourself, and then look at Christ. Look to Christ. When you have something that needs to be cleared up, ask for forgiveness, and he promises you he forgives you. So if you go through that procedure, if you follow the doctor's prescription, right, that self-examination, what's the prognosis for you? That's our last point today, is that Jesus says you now have freedom to help others. You think about this, right? Uh, the end of this passage says that if you get that log out of your eye, then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I don't know about you, but I don't want uh, an ophthalmologist to do an eye exam on me if they're blind, okay? Nobody wants that. But Jesus says this. Basically, the point of this passage is once you've been healed, once your vision's been cleared up, once you know that your heart is right with God, one of the things you're called to do is help others in their relationship with God. You can see clearly now it's like one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. In humility, you may notice a flaw in your, in your brother or your sister. And not in a judgmental way, but we're called to walk alongside each other and help them remove those things. First of all, though, examine yourself. One beggar telling another beggar where to find food, or in this case, one sinner telling another sinner where to find forgiveness. You've been set free so you can help set others free. So you can see clearly we're called to accountability and community. But remember this, at the end of the day, if Jesus has forgiven you, you have been set free. So this morning, you are invited to see clearly the forgiveness that Jesus provides. He'll cleanse you from anything. And you are called to share that with others. Will you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, thank you for this uh, amazing Sermon on the Mount that you gave us, God. And I pray as we go forward from here, Lord, that we would uh, examine ourselves, keep our lives free from sin, uh, from any distraction that might keep us from serving you and from sharing your gospel. Lord, I pray you would make us as individuals and as a church the light of the world so that we would shine with the brightness of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen.
You are dismissed. Now go and make disciples.